we will see how this goes. Several years ago, I enrolled in karate class at Muskogee, Oklahoma. And over the time of the class, it came time for there to be a, a testing for promotion to a new level. And I had met all the qualifications and done all that needed to be done, so it was time for me to be tested as well. And on test night, the tests are divided up into two areas in the karate class I took. The first area was on basically knowing the forms, the punches, the kicks, katas, and things along those lines. And then the second part was a was sparring, actually fighting with someone for two to three minutes was what the time frame was supposed to be. And so we went through the, the first part, and the instructor was divvying up those that were being promoted or going to try for promotion and telling us who we were going to spar. And when he came to me, he said, Stacy, you're going to spar Tom. And when he told me he was going to spar, I was going to spar Tom, all of the, the other guys in my class that had really taken karate a lot longer than I have, they all went, ooh. Now, I didn't really know what that meant because I knew Tom. Tom was a second degree black belt. He was uh, overall, though, a pretty good guy. I mean, he was nice. He was pretty laid back. And, and I, I knew, uh, obviously, as a black belt that he was far better than, than I was. But, I mean, it was just we, we sparred with black belts all of the time. And so when it came time to, to spar with Tom, I, I began to understand some of the things that were that they were talking about when we when you gather to spar, the first thing you do is you, you bow to your instructor. And then you, you bow to your opponent. And when Tom bowed to me, he growled like an animal. Loudly. Fearsomely. Terrifyingly. And so, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but it was new. Nobody else had ever done that. And so we were standing across and the instructor said, Go! And immediately I knew what the ooh was about. Tom turned into a combination of a ninja and the Tasmanian devil. Hitting me with a flurry of punches and kicks that I, I could not even comprehend how fast they were coming. I felt like I was in a, a fight for my very life. It was so intense. He, he roundhouse kicked me in the right side of my head so hard. That it knocked me off of my feet and the first thing to hit the ground was the left side of my head. And it was at this moment that I understood what the other ooh was about. Tom was hard of hearing. Something had happened when he was a kid and he had lost part of his hearing and that's why he talked loud. But in order to spar, he had taken his hearing aids out. And when I had fallen, you, you kept the fight going until the instructor called break. And so he was setting on me and he was hitting me. And as he was hitting me, the instructor was going, break, break. But Tom had no hearing aids in and so he could not hear the word that I could hear. And he kept hitting me. Finally, the, the fight was broken. We got back up. We started again. And it was, it was a, an intense Two or three minutes that felt like two or three hours. By the time it was over, I honestly thought I was going to vomit. I, I, I don't know that I had ever in my life at that time expended myself so hard. I, I was so sore for two or three weeks that even my hair hurt. It was just an amazing time of being beaten up like a punching bag. And all of that happened because I wasn't prepared See, I wasn't prepared for the intensity that Tom brought to the fight. 
because nobody else had ever fought like that. I wasn't mentally prepared for how difficult it was to, to go full blast for two or three minutes. I wasn't mentally prepared for being hit that hard and, and that many times and my lack of preparation. It, it just enabled me to be a punching bag for two or three minutes. Now, I will say that later when I fought Tom, he always still beat the snot out of me. But I, I got a few good hits in because I was more prepared. When we think about the unseen world, I'm afraid that many of us deal with it in the way that I dealt with fighting Tom. We are unprepared. We, we are mentally unprepared for the realities of the unseen world. We, we are intellectually unprepared for what Scripture says about it and how difficult it will be. We are spiritually unprepared for the rigors of the battles that we'll have to face as we deal with the things in the unseen world. We, we just aren't prepared. And since we're not prepared, we end up being fodder for the enemy. We end up being casualties in a war that we are a part of. And this morning we're going to talk about what to do in order to be prepared for the unseen world. Open your Bible to Ephesians 6. We're going to start in verse 10. That's page 898 in your pew Bibles. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 6 and 10. Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The title of the message this morning is Preparing for the Unseen World. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you. Father, you are great and you are awesome and you are worthy of our praise and you are worthy of our devotion. And Lord, today we want to come with a humble attitude to learn from your word. We want to come with a desire to be prepared to face the things that, that are real about the unseen world. Father, we want our minds to be guarded. We want our hearts to be pure. We want to be devoted to you so that we can be strong in your power. Father, today, in this time, help us to listen carefully to your word. Give us ears to hear, hearts to obey. Father, let us take what we study today seriously, not treat it as if it's some sort of horror myth that's meant to scare us. But let us understand the realities of what we're talking about. The things that are going on in our world. In our community. God, help us to do what needs to be done to prepare. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Father, use me this morning as a vessel of honor. To help your people be equipped. To be able to stand. In that evil day. 
Father, help us to respond to your word in ways that testify that we have been born again and that Jesus is Lord over our lives. We love you, Lord. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. It's important as we look at this passage to understand that Paul talks about the spiritual world as though it were real. Paul doesn't go to any great lengths to try to convince us of the reality of the unseen world. He just speaks and tells us that there is an unseen world. To Paul's mind, Paul's way of thinking under the inspiration of God, there was a, a devil who had wiles to try to destroy people. In Paul's mind, under his writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are evil spiritual principalities. There are evil spiritual powers. There are evil spiritual rulers of darkness. And there are evil spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In Paul's mind, all of this stuff was real. And because it was real, my brethren, believers needed to prepare themselves. They needed to take intentional steps to be able to deal with what was real in the unseen world. And the things that he talks about are all very intentional. Paul's idea is that we're not going to accidentally be prepared for the unseen world. We're not going to stumble in to a place where we're able to deal with all of the things that are real. Instead, we must intentionally prepare for the realities of the unseen world. So that brings us to the main truth for today. I must intentionally prepare for the realities of the unseen world. And let me just take a minute and, and, and point out some things. Intentionally. Right? So that means there must be things that I do. Things that I do just because there is an unseen world. Things that I make a point to do, not because it's easy, not because it's convenient, but because it needs to be done. Prepare. If there is an unseen world with evil spiritual powers and hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, I better be prepared for what they might do and what they can do in the world around us. In the realities. All of Scripture paints this stuff as real. All of Scripture makes this a reality, not a myth, not a scary story, not a what could hide in the darkness, but real. So if we want to be able to be standing at the end of all things, then we must intentionally prepare for the realities of the unseen world. And this passage gives us three ways to do that. First, be strong in the Lord. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, the power of His might. Paul is emphasizing the great power of God in this verse and our need for that. He uses three different words, but they all kind of have the same meaning. They, they all mean basically that, that God has the ability 
to give the, the unction or the power to, to stand against the, the evil spiritual forces that Paul is going to talk about. Paul is emphasizing the fact that on our own, we can't stand. Right? It doesn't matter how, how physically strong we are. It doesn't matter how emotionally strong we are, how intellectually strong that we are. Spiritual battles, the unseen world takes spiritual strength and that only comes from God. And if we are to, to be strong in the Lord, we must seek His power and His might and His strength. But to understand how important that is, we, we've got to realize the greatness of God's power. And we've also got to understand that God does, in fact, give that power to us to help us to stand. Right, so I want to look at a couple of passages real quick. Flip back a couple of pages to Ephesians 1. And Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23 is Paul's prayer, one of Paul's prayers for the Ephesian church. We don't have time this morning to go deep into it. But take some time and meditate strongly on this passage. Let the truths of what Paul prays for seep into your mind and into your heart so that you can understand. But in verse 15 and 16, Paul mentions that it is his prayer. Verse 17 and 18, Paul prays that they would have a better understanding. That God would give them wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of their hearts would be, or the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened. That they would know some things. Right? They would know the hope of God's calling. But verse 19 is what we're focusing on. And that what is the exceeding greatness of His power. Uh, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that God would open their eyes to understand His exceeding great power. And the idea of exceeding great power is just what it sounds like, that God has more power than we can fathom. That God has all of the power that is needed. He has more power than anything else that there is. He has exceeding great power. And as great as that is, the next part makes it even better. According to the working of His, which exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. According to the working of His, again, mighty power. So God has an exceeding great power. He has mighty working power. And He works this toward us who believe. The idea that it's toward us who believe is that God will give us the power that we need to do what needs to be done. So there is nothing that God calls us to do that He does not enable us to do. If God calls us to serve, He will enable us to serve. If God calls us to stand, He, he gives us what we need to stand. God says there is a very real spiritual world. And to stand, you need to be strong in the Lord. But take heart. God has all the power that you could possibly need, and He is willing and able to give that power to you so that you can stand. Now jump to Ephesians chapter 3. And again, read, take some time and read verse 14 through 21. Again, a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church, but we don't have time to look at. But I want to look at, at verse... 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit 
and the inner man. So Paul's prayer is that God would, would strengthen them with his might, his power, his exceedingly great power, through the Holy Spirit. But notice where that's at. Not, not in our biceps, not, not in our, our, our anything else, but in the inner man. That we would have mighty spiritual strength that we're going to need in chapter 6 to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might so that we can stand. But God will give us the strength that we need. He strengthens us in the inner man so that we are able to do what needs to be done. In this case, we are able to stand. We are able to deal with whatever is real, whatever is there in the unseen world. Now, a question arises from that. Go ahead and turn back to Ephesians 6. Okay. If Paul's prayer is that their, the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would know the exceeding greatness of his power, and that God will strengthen us with his might through his spirit in the inner man, what can I do to open my eyes of my understanding that I would understand the exceeding greatness of God's power? What can I do that would make that exceeding power toward me and strengthen me in the inner man? Here's what we can do to help with this. I can read my Bible faithfully. The Bible is ultimately the story of God and His ability to do whatever He needs to do. The Bible is filled with true accounts of God creating the world, parting the Red Sea, judging nations, stopping the sun, sending His Son, raising Him from the dead, and the promise of what He's going to do when the world comes, when the world comes to an end. As we read our Bibles faithfully, the eyes of our understanding will be enlightened, and we will understand the greatness of His power. can't read the Bible with even a, a moderate amount of faith without it being strengthened at the greatness of God's power and the fact that He works in the lives of of people. So read my Bible faithfully. Secondly, pray consistently. How do we how do we get what we learn here into our hearts? Well, we seek the Lord in prayer. Praying consistently. I, I do not believe that we can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might without consistent prayer. And when I say consistent prayer, I don't mean we wait until the battle rages. I don't mean that we wait until the, the time comes and, and the unseen world is real to us and we're being overcome by all this stuff. But I mean we pray in advance. We pray to prepare. We pray for understanding. We seek the Lord consistently that it's a regular, important part of our lives. And as we pray, we connect with God. And He strengthens us in the inner man. Make church a priority. Church is Jesus' church. It was His idea. He died to establish it. He has determined that it will not be conquered. He works through His church to accomplish His will in the world. He is devoted to His church. And He wants us to be devoted to His church as well. But beyond that, when you make church a priority, there'll be Bible. There'll be gospel. There'll be Jesus. When you make church a priority, there'll be prayer. There'll be time to, to cry out to the Lord. 
Right? What we, everything that we need is, is modeled in church. We worship Him in spirit and in truth through song. We offer our prayers to Him and ask for His help. We study His Word so that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we could know the hope of our calling. We could know the power, the incredible greatness of His power. Church, our church isn't perfect. It's not perfect because I know your pastor, that guy's got some issues. But let me promise you something. When we come here, Jesus is going to be central to everything we do. We're going to be in the Word. We're going to hear about Jesus. We're going to be challenged in our faith. We're going to be given an opportunity to respond and we're going to pray. Those things will always happen. Strengthened in the inner man. Make church a priority. And then fast occasionally. Fasting is a spiritual practice that isn't seen much in our day, but it was very important in biblical times. And there was something powerful about saying, Jesus, I need you more than I need food. Jesus, I need you more than I need television. Jesus, I need you more than I need Facebook. Jesus, I need you more than I need this. Spend that time extra praying, reading your Bible. There's something strengthening in the inner man that comes. Now you're looking at these four things and you're thinking, man, I really thought this was going to be something really deep and really an advanced level kind of deal. To, to find strength in the inner man, to be strong in the Lord, this is all pretty basic. But here's what I'm convinced of. The basic stuff is what works. The basic stuff is what's real. In the end, if we want to be strong in the Lord, the power of His might, we do the basics. And we do them over and over and over again. Reading your Bible once ain't going to change you. Praying once isn't going to strengthen you in the inner man. Coming to church once isn't going to help you to be equipped to stand in the spiritual battle. Fasting once in your life isn't going to do it. These are things that we do, and we do them again and again and again. And as we do them again and again and again, we are strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The eyes of our understanding are enlightened that we can understand the incredible greatness of His power toward us. We are strengthened in the inner man. So that when the evil day comes, we are able to stand. It takes intentional effort to prepare for the unseen world. And that starts by being strong in the Lord. Listen, I'm convinced that verse 10 is first intentionally. If I am not strong in the Lord and the power of His might, nothing else matters. If I'm not strong in the Lord and the power of His might, nothing else is going to work. It's got to start there. Secondly, stand against Satan's schemes. Stand against Satan's schemes. Paul says to put on the whole armor of God, which we don't have time to talk about. You may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles refers to the, the methods, the strategies, the schemes. That Satan uses to deceive and to destroy. You know, the reality is Satan could not just walk up to most people and say, I'm the devil. Follow me. People aren't going to follow that guy. Instead, he has to have tricks. He has to have schemes. He has to plot. And in all of his schemes and all of his plotting, he has one goal. 
His goal for unbelievers is to keep them blinded to the gospel that they would never see their need for Jesus Christ and turn to Him by faith. See, Satan doesn't care if unbelievers are moral. He doesn't care if unbelievers are religious. He just doesn't want them to believe in Jesus Christ. And so he'll do all that he can to keep them blinded to their need for the gospel. For believers, he works to deceive us and to lead us astray. He wants us to believe that there's a better way than Jesus' way. He wants us to believe that the Bible may not be true. That that, that was for this day and not for that. Day. Now that we know more, it's not the same. He wants to give us reasons that we can say, well, that's not real. That's not true. That's not for today. In order to lead us away from Jesus. If he can't take our salvation, which he can't, he'd sure be happy to wreck God's work and God's plans for our lives. We're warned about Satan's schemes. Paul says that we should be careful lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we're not ignorant of his devices. Now, it's an interesting passage because if you look at it from the bottom, if we are ignorant of his devices, what's going to happen? Satan will take advantage of us. Now, devices is an interesting word. And it carries with it the idea, again, of, of schemes. And it refers to, really, to mental strategies. And not just Satan's mental strategies that he thinks up to work in the world, but the mental strategies he plays with us. But think of it like mind games. Satan likes to play mind games with us. He likes to whisper in our ear and tell us things that aren't true. What are some of Satan's schemes? What are some of his devices? What are some of the mind games he plays with us? Well, the Bible says Satan tempts us. In Matthew 4, 3, Satan tempted Jesus. And when Satan tempts us, there are usually three things that he'll try to tempt us with. Not specific sin, but things that he lies, that he whispers in our ears to believe. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that bad. It's just one look at a pornographic website. It's just one little gossipy statement. It's just one little hatefully dig. It's just one little this. It's not that much. What happens when we believe it's not that big of a deal? We, we sin. We give in to it. Or, or he'll say, no one will ever know. You're home alone. No one will ever see. No one will ever know. You'll cover your tracks. You'll clear your internet history. You'll, you'll do it in secret and no one will ever know what you're doing in private. But if politicians and sports stars teach us anything, it's that what's done in private eventually makes its way to the internet, doesn't it? Eventually it comes out. Or... Or if we're really fighting hard, he'll say, you can't win. You'll never overcome. You can't help it. Oh man, when I can't help it, what's the point of fighting? What's the point of trying? I'll just go ahead and give in. First Thessalonians, Paul was concerned that Satan had tempted the Thessalonians and had turned them away from the faith of Jesus Christ. So, I use that verse so we can see that Satan's temptations aren't always just to sin, but to turn us away from Christianity. The Bible's not real. Your prayers don't make a difference. You can't believe in God now. What about 
other religions, are you really the only ones that are right? Draw us away from the faith. Satan tries to deceive us. Revelation 12.9 calls him the deceiver of the whole world. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It talks about the minds of the unbelievers being blinded to the gospel that they, because they are deceived. They are blinded by Satan. He works in the minds of unbelievers to keep them from ever seeing their need for Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3, that's one, if you just want to look at one to, to ponder, that's another one to study. Paul's concern for the Corinthians was that Satan, through craftiness, had corrupted their minds away from the simplicity that was in Christ. That he had planted little seeds against Christianity and turned them away to other things. 2 Corinthians 13, or 11, 13-15 deals with false teachers. Interesting statement in that passage is that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. Now think about that one for a second. Talk about deceiving. What if you saw an angel that told you something? You have to be consistent with Scripture because Satan can appear as an angel of light. And it says that since Satan can do that, it's no wonder that his, his teachers can appear as preachers of righteousness. Satan absolutely will tempt to deceive us. Satan accuses us. Revelation 12.10 refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. How many of you have things in your past that you're not just overly proud of? Things that you wouldn't want other people to know about or talk about? And then how many of you have had times where suddenly you feel horrible about those things? Things from years ago. Suddenly you're laying in the dark and you think about that. And all of a sudden all you can think of is you're worthless. You haven't changed. You're still that person. Could someone do that and really be accepted by Jesus? Sometimes he accuses us for the things that we have done. Let me ask you, have you ever had this happen? You feel, you feel condemned about things you didn't even do. I mean, there's just something and you feel worthless. And it's not even something you did. It's just, man, it's Satan. Whispering in your ear, playing the mind games. Accusing us to keep us beat down and separated from Jesus. And then Satan separates us. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says that he tried to go back to Thessalonica to visit the people. But as he went, it says that Satan hindered him. And there was Paul trying to go back to a church he established to, to gather with the saints. For encouragement and edification and comfort and exhortation. And Satan prevented him from making it to Thessalonica. What Satan did then, Satan will do now. Listen, if the church is the church of Jesus Christ, if it was established by Christ, if He is the rock and the foundation of the church, if He accomplishes His will through the church, and He purchased the church through His blood, and the church is His bride, who do you think wants us to stay away from church? Who do you think whispers in our ear, you don't need to go. You've been enough. It's not that important. Do you think it's Jesus who established the church that's working to keep us from church? Come on, no way! 
Satan's mind games. Working in our hearts, working in our minds, trying to lead us astray from Jesus Christ. How do we stand against the wiles, schemes of Satan? These are just some. It's not all of them. How do we how do we stand? Well, we have to know scripture. We have to say things like I'm not a slave to my sinful nature. Jesus Christ has set me free and whom the son has set free is free indeed. I have no obligation to do what my sinful nature desires to do. I don't have to give in to that temptation. I don't have to do what my sinful nature is pulling on me to do. It is written, when Jesus was tempted and Satan tried to deceive him, Jesus replied every time, it is written. If you want to be able to stand against, the, against Satan's lies, you better know the truth. Jesus said that if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed and you will know the truth. And what happens? Truth will set you free. When Satan begins to deceive you, you can say it is written. That is not true. I am free from condemnation. When we begin to deal with Satan's condemning of us, there are right and wrong ways to respond. A wrong way to respond is to say, I'm not that bad. A wrong way to respond is to say, it wasn't that big of a deal. A wrong way to respond is to say, well, I'm better now and I've done more good since then. Because in the end, in, in, in like the eternal realm, in God's kingdom, that doesn't matter. What matters is not what we've done, but what Jesus has done. And Jesus said that if we believe in him, there is no condemnation for us. We are free from condemnation. The Apostle Paul wrote that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So we don't say I'm better. And we don't say I'm not that bad and it wasn't that big of a deal. What we say is, yeah, that's true. But Jesus has set me free. Jesus has freed me from condemnation. The, the, what my past is gone. Jesus has taken away my sin. Jesus has forgiven me. And your condemnation does not matter because of what Jesus has done in my life. The gates of hell cannot overcome Christ's church. In all of Scripture, there's one organization that Jesus established. And then He gave the promise that the gates of hell shall not prevail over this. And it wasn't a country. And it wasn't a club. And it wasn't a relationship. It was His church. And ultimately, that's why Satan wants to separate us from the church. Because he cannot conquer the church of Jesus Christ. He cannot overcome Christ's church. And so when Satan tries to keep us away, we say no. The church of Jesus Christ is built on Christ. And it will overcome you it will overcome your works and your wills and your way. And we determine to be a part 
of His church no matter what. Whatever schemes Satan has, whatever wiles he uses, whatever mind games he plays, there is a biblical answer for those things. It's one reason we need to be faithful in the Scriptures, isn't it? I'll never know these answers if I don't know what the Bible says. I mean, how can I tell a lie if I don't know the truth? How can I resist temptation if I don't know what's wrong? How, how can I do it if I'm not in God's Word? There are ways to stand against it. There are truths that enable us to stand against it. It's finding those truths and knowing those truths. That is a part of, a part of intentionally preparing. If we are to stand and be prepared for the unseen world, we must intentionally prepare. And that requires us to stand against Satan's schemes. And then finally, fight the right enemy. Paul says in verse 12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let's just stop and think about that. In the end, people aren't the enemy. They're instruments that he's using. Paul will tell us in Timothy that they have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. But in the end, they are not the enemy. And when we fight the wrong enemy, we end up losing. We end up losing in part because the enemy of flesh is nowhere near as powerful as the enemy that's the spirit. There's no politician. There's no president. There's no TV star. There's no journalist. There's no atheistic writer. There's no person, no human person that is nearly as strong is the enemy we actually face. Satan is nowhere near God's equal in power, but make no mistake, he is far more powerful than mere mortals. That is why we have to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Our enemies are not the people. They have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Instead, there are evil spiritual forces that are using the people to accomplish Satan's will in the world. Notice how Paul describes them. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. The, the plural nature of the way Paul's wording this is meant to tell us that there are, there are many. There are many evil spirits in the world. We wonder how many there are. We don't know for sure. The Bible never tells. But what we do know from the book of Revelation is that when Satan rebelled against God, he took a third of the angels with him. Now, in imagining and trying to figure out what a third of the angels would be, we can look at Jesus when he was being taken in the garden and his disciples wanted to fight for him. And he said, do you not know that I could call more than 12 legions of angels to come fight for me? 
Now, if a, a legion is like a Roman legion, then the number that Jesus was suggesting of angels was 40, 50, 60,000 angels. And, and that's just taking into account the 12, not the, the more than. How many more than 12 could, could he call? We don't know. But the idea that we need to get from what Jesus has said and what Paul is saying here is there are a lot of spiritual enemies. The spirit realm, the unseen world is filled with evil spiritual forces. And Paul also tells us something else about these evil spiritual forces. He, he calls them principalities and powers. But notice these last two names he gives. Rulers of the darkness of this age. What do you think the darkness of this age would be? That would be the sin, the wickedness, the evil that reigns in this world. The darkness of this age is ruled by evil spiritual powers. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Both of these give us a picture that the evil spiritual forces that are against us are at work in the world. In other words, it's not just angels and demons duking it out in the sky that we can't see. The evil spiritual forces are able to influence the physical world in which we live. That they do it to, to darken the depravity, to cause evil to abound. And you say, come on! How can that be? And in a couple of weeks, we'll look at that further. But I do want to give you a little instance of, of how it can be. Some of what the Bible says to, to get us ready for what we're going to see in a couple of weeks. So first, think about, think about ISIS. ISIS is a pretty easy target to, to shoot at. They're on the news a lot, and they're pretty evil. This group, they behead people. They put people in cages and they burn them alive. They take girls and young women captive and they repeatedly rape them and they sell them into sex slavery to, to fund their mission of terror. And as if that weren't bad enough, they justify it with a religion, their religion. You see, their belief system says that their God not only allows this, but that their God endorses this. And in fact, that is good in his sight to do all of these things. Now, where on earth would a belief system in any God come from that thinks it would be okay to burn people alive, to rape young girls and women? Well, the Bible actually gives us the answer. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. Now, that's just one verse. I could take time and I could look at from Old to New Testament, where the Bible talks about that behind all false religions, all, all non-Jesus-centered religions, and all non-Jesus-centered spiritualities, any truth that says you don't need Jesus, any truth that says there is spiritual life and spiritual force apart from Jesus, it comes from there. Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 
Listen, let the world think that global warming caused ISIS. But we are a people of the book. And we know where such evil comes from. This week, there was a a news article about a man who who raped and killed a 10-month-old baby. How would a person be so evil as to do something like that? What, What would cause someone in their mind to think something like that was even okay? You have your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. What was his desires? A murderer. From the beginning, Jesus said the thief comes not but to steal, to kill, to destroy. Let the world think that people have just had a bad upbringing to to act like that. Let let people make excuses for the fact that, that, that humans are basically good, but occasionally one or two misfires. But we are a people of the book and we know stuff like that comes from the devil. Why? Why is the news so filled with evil? Why is there so much evil in our world? Because humanity is depraved on their own. And in some ways, under the sway of the devil, apart from Jesus Christ. And because there are evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that exert influence over the physical realm. And they take the depravity of man and they push them beyond the bounds of what even a naturally depraved person would do. Our enemy is is not the people. Our enemy is the spiritual force behind them. C.S. Lewis famously said, there are two errors which our race could fall into regarding the devils. One is to deny their existence. The other is to believe in their existence and yet develop an unhealthy focus on them. Another author took that quote and he elaborated and he said that either one works to the enemy's advantage. When we deny their existence, it allows them to roam and to move and to act freely without any opposition from the church of Jesus Christ. And when we focus and have an unhealthy focus upon them, we are not focused upon Jesus, who is ultimately where our victory comes from. I have three goals for this series. The first is to help us to be prepared for the realities of the unseen world without going to either extreme. Secondly, I want us to to understand the reality of the unseen world. And thirdly, ultimately, I want us to look to Jesus who is our victory, who is our strength, to recognize our constant And desperate need for Him to strengthen us, to protect us, to enable us. So that when the evil day has come and it has passed, we will still be standing. Let's all stand.